0: It's time now for Illinois Innovators, spotlighting the leaders in research, technology, and entrepreneurship from the engineering at Illinois community. Welcome to another edition of Illinois Innovators. I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. As the world transitions more and more to electric vehicles, manufacturers of these vehicles will need to also adjust. A recent article in the IEEE Spectrum, Philip Crine, a research professor of electrical and computer engineering at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, detailed the ways the colleges are prepping the next generation of manufacturers, which includes training in artificial intelligence and robotics. After receiving his PhD from Illinois in 1982, he spent some time in industry as an engineer with Tektronix before returning to Illinois to join the faculty. The past chair of the IEEE Transportation electri- Electrification Community, Crane is a leading expert in power and energy systems including power electronics, machines, drives, transportation electrification and electrical energy with emphasis on nonlinear control approaches. He initiated a complete curriculum in modern power electronics and is the executive dean for Zhejiang University, University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign Institute in Hainan, China. Today we talk with Professor Krein about how he's helping shape the future of advanced energy applications. Professor Krein, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Mike. Uh, looking forward to it.
0: So first off, let's uh, start with uh, uh, the article, maybe break that down a little bit about uh, the need, that how things are changing in manufacturing, considering uh, that car, man- car manufacturers are uh, going more and more to uh,
1: electric vehicles. Well, the the challenge in electric vehicles, which, of course, have been around actually for a very long time, uh, at least 100 years, today is to integrate them much more completely with controls, uh, advanced capability, and a certain amount of intelligence. And it's not just about vehicles that ultimately can drive themselves. It's also about vehicles that make the best use of a limited energy source, a, a battery pack, uh, and about vehicles that can take advantage of safety functions and, and various kinds of potential added features that one can get when, when you do electrification.
0: Well, one of the things when you talk about electric vehicles, you know, how long can you drive? Uh, and I'm sure that that's, uh, that's a problem that uh, you're right in the heart of, of trying to solve so that obviously when somebody drives several hours on the highway, they can, they can get to their destination without losing power. Well,
1: and, and the answer is it depends, right? It, it depends on how the car is used. It depends on what the user really wants. Uh, most driving in the United States, for example, a typical car actually goes less than about 50 miles a day in commuting duty. So in that sense, an electric vehicle with, with 50 or 100 miles of range meets almost all of people's needs. Um, most of us do long-distance driving only very occasionally. And the question is, do you have a vehicle that tries to meet all of those needs, or do you somehow adapt and do things a little bit differently? I mean, my own personal car is a plug-in hybrid, so I don't, I don't make those trade-offs. In town, it's electric, and if I want to go a long distance, it's running on fuel.
0: So talk about your uh, collaboration with uh, car manufacturers. Uh, what questions do they have and uh, you know what are you telling them about uh, how to make uh, those cars uh, do what th- their customers ultimately want them to do
1: well one of the challenges in the auto industry is is really thinking beyond the the component and subsystem level and and think about the complete integrated system um, Many of the auto manufacturers have developed some uh, very high-end expertise on, on a lot of their system elements. Uh, some of the top experts on batteries that I know are in, employed in that industry. And yet, the notion of how you integrate them into a car, how you package them, how you manage their safety, how you make them work most effectively within that whole electrical um, drive system – um, is, is something that, that isn't typically the way they think about things. So trying to, to ingrain some of that sort of system thinking, uh, try to bring in the, the broader perspective of how things come together and function as a cohesive unit, um, it really is a pretty significant challenge and a different way of thinking in that industry.
0: Well, you mentioned safety a couple of times. I think a lot of, when a lot of people think about electric vehicles, perhaps, I mean, obviously safety is always an element, but, um, uh, how does that need to be addressed? Maybe how is that unique in an electric vehicle as opposed to a you know, regular uh, gasoline-powered
1: vehicle? Well, the, the unique things is that uh, an electric vehicle actually can respond very quickly. Um, it, it can do things that you really can't do with a conventional fuel-driven car. The the drive system is much more responsive, Um Things like automatic braking control and so forth become much, much easier to do, actually, in an electrified system. Um, so one of the questions, the unique question, is how do you take advantage of that and improve some of the safety features and, and performance aspects? The other thing, which I, I won't say is unique, but it's different, right, is that, of course, electrical safety and, and safety that we're used to in a more conventional vehicle are, are not the same but you know that said um, all of us are used to many of the most basic considerations of electrical safety we have electricity in our homes we we use it every day routinely Uh, we have electrical outlets in our bathrooms and we we don't get too worried about um, how that goes along and and really the the safety issues in an electric vehicle are not fundamentally much different than that Um, people worry about batteries catching fire um, people should still worry about gasoline catching fire uh, and, and so on and so on. So it, it's important to get the right perspective and put these things in context.
0: And uh, let's get a little bit more into the crux of this actual article, because uh, there, are, there are two elements that uh, you touched on that you think will be important um, for training the next generation of uh, car manufacturers. And the first one is artificial intelligence. And and talk about uh, that element and uh, how your students and other colleges are training that next generation um, and taking advantage of all the the latest and greatest in artificial intelligence.
1: Well, a lot of this comes back to safety capability and also ultimately potentially self-driving cars and clearly trying to take advantage of the uh, most effective machine learning and and artificial learning uh, mechanisms uh, that we possibly can, Um, it provides very interesting pathways to safer transportation and, and more adept kinds of systems. And I think all of us have experienced some of this just with navigation systems and others, but one can see this going much farther um, one of the areas that i'm very interested in for example would be self-diagnostics so having enough intelligence on board a vehicle so that the um, key elements and, and systems are being monitored proactively and one can um, anticipate problems and, and take care of repairs and and changes rather than waiting for failures to occur um, you know from, from there all the way up to a fully autonomous vehicle. Uh, obviously, there, there are many steps in between, but there are plenty of things that intelligence can do even at that fairly uh, early low level.
0: So we're all used to when that check engine light comes on, the panic ensues. Uh, so, but it's to nice, be nice to, n- to have that feature where it comes on long before there's an issue and it actually tells you specifically, maybe more specifically, what the, what the issue is with the vehicle.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm sure, I'm sure you, are like me, everybody else, right, that, that thing drives you crazy, because you, you don't have any idea whether it means that there's some uh, cover that's loose or, or whether your engine is about to explode or, or anything in between, right? Um, and of course, we have these fancy scan tools that, that give you error codes and everything else. Clearly, one would like a little bit more effective user information in terms of, you know, is, is, this, I- is there an issue that needs to be dealt with immediately, or is there an issue that needs to be dealt with over the next month, or, you know, what is the, the perception here? And that, that's where I think proper artificial intelligence comes in to really help the driver and the owner put it more in context and understand whether they're uh, making a trade-off or whether there's something urgent they need to deal with.
0: Well, you've uh, written uh, maybe the curriculum in in power electronics. is certainly one of those. Uh, Just talk about uh, that area uh, and maybe specifically as it relates to the topic we're talking about right now and uh, how this is new and and how maybe it isn't new uh, um, in this field.
1: Well, it's, it's interesting to put this in the context as, as we've been thinking lately about uh, anniversaries of uh, Apollo missions and so forth. Um, some of the things that I work on actually are, are spinoffs ultimately from the space program that we don't hear very much about. But the notion of being able to do uh, very tightly integrated electronic management of energy flows um, although that that's been around for a long time, it really only became a, a technical field on its own out of the space program during the um, during the late '60s and the in the 1970s. Um, and the challenge has always been trying to do useful work with a system that is very efficient and very reliable. Um, and because that is such a major challenge, power electronics, for example, for a long time has had sort of a reputation of not being very reliable. Um, and as we, uh, as we come to realize, really the, the, the circuits and the, and the tools that um, I help students learn how to design are vital um, links for doing renewable energy. They're essential for uh, modern electric transportation. Uh, They're critical for solid-state lighting, and indeed, they're becoming sort of the norm for most of the things that we're all used to. And, of course, um, uh, cell phones, laptop computers, desktop computers are are dominated in many ways by their energy conversion and management on board. Um, What is changing rapidly now, uh, and, and we are spending more time on this in our curriculum, is understanding reliability. How do you measure it? How do you design for it? Um, how do you try to make a system that, that can last a very long time? Um, and one in which if there are failures, uh, you can manage those failures in a way that, that are not catastrophic. Um, this I- Ten years ago, it was really hard even to think about that. Uh, in, in the things that I do. And today it's actually uh, becoming more and more of a central topic.
0: And, and one of the things that looks like uh, that you teach is not only s- those specifics but your uh, the system thinking. Um, so having students that understand how the whole thing works uh, helps them uh, be able to focus on the th- you know the things that they want to be experts on. Um, you know so knowing, the, the whole system, having a little exposure
1: to how the whole system works certainly is valuable. Well, the, the, the thing I like about power electronics is that it cannot just be about that itself. Um, the things we do are not useful unless there's an energy source and, and an energy use, um, and it becomes a, a key interface, an enabling interface between those two. So understanding what's going on at the two ends is, is really very important in order to accomplish anything useful.
0: Well, you mentioned uh, technology within the last ten years. Can you maybe delve into that a little bit about some of the things, some of the advances that have made uh, it possible for really an explosion in, in electric vehicles and and, and uh, other related, um, I would say, you know, other other related uh, topics as well.
1: Sure. Um, it turns out that there are some um, circuit parts, some, some uh, categories of devices basically that are, that are unique to power electronics. Uh, one that's familiar to a lot of people is something called an SCR. Uh, we use them in our lamp dimmers and they control microwave ovens and those kinds of things. Uh, a more recent device which really uh, came to maturity about 10 years ago is something called the insulated gate bipolar transistor uh, which is actually a unique uh, power electronic device. Um, and indeed, um, 10, 15, 20 years ago when that device was invented, uh, it had a lot of promise. You could do a lot of interesting things with it, but it certainly wasn't mature enough to be able to put into significant commercial products. And, and I would say uh, approximately 10 years ago, certainly certainly not much more than 20 years ago, um, that device became mature enough that we began talking about inverters for electric cars. We began talking about units that could last long enough um, and have uh, manageable enough failure modes that we could actually use them in these kinds of commercial and industrial products. And, and today it's, uh, it's actually very common in those kinds of contexts, and we're seeing them now everywhere. The emerging thing, which is not mature yet, uh, but will certainly have impact uh, a few years from now, is we're starting to see a new category of semiconductor devices that are called wide band gap devices. Um, Silicon carbide uh, has matured enough to reach the market. Um, Most people would be familiar with that as uh, one of the ways in which LED lighting is made. The other material is gallium nitride. Um, These two emerging materials will have significant impact on power, making things Faster, more efficient, giving us more design alternatives than we've had. But we have devices today that have gotten us to the point of being able to commercialize electric transportation in in a significant way.
0: Well, you mentioned the space program, and certainly uh, just having celebrated the 50th uh, anniversary of the uh, Apollo 11 mission, uh, there's there's a lot of looking back at the technology that they had back then and you know, th- the advances that we've made in, in the last 50 years in, in you know, computing and so forth. Uh, can you look down y- the crystal ball, if you will, and, and a- as people look back on this era, what will they say we were just kind of the infancy of, of uh, something that uh, we'll take for granted 40 or 50 years from now?
1: Well, you know that's uh, the 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 beautiful thing about that question is the future is not what we predict; it's what we create. Um, the The fact is that when one puts the mission computer for Apollo up next to a, a modern uh, desktop, you know there are many orders of magnitude difference in performance and capability and everything else, and and yet the uh, Apollo device was truly built for software reliability um, something today that that we see almost entirely in the space program and in aerospace applications you know we, we have to get that down into our own uh, personal gear and and certainly into automobiles um, it, curiously enough power electronics is almost the same if I took a, a uh, uh, power electronic supply from uh, from the Apollo spacecraft and put it next to a modern one of similar capability again there would be a few orders of magnitude difference in terms of uh, capabilities and, and power levels, and, and indeed, uh, potentially even reliability. But I think, uh, you know, looking ahead a few decades, certainly machine learning, artificial intelligence, and the ability to do high-performance computing in real time—meaning that it's interacting with a with a with an actual process um is going to be an area of dramatic change i I think that's one thing where 50 years from now things will look completely different than they do today and that's uh the other thing you mentioned in this article
0: was uh robotics and the and how that will be the the knowledge of robotics was going to will be really important in terms of uh, the future of uh, manufacturing uh, as it relates in this case to electric vehicles
1: well, certainly, um, a, an autonomous vehicle is, is, in some sense, a kind of robot, um, but the the key today uh, in industrial robots, typically, uh, one of the requirements is what we call pass planning, which basically says, uh, pick up an object, take it from a specific location, or at least near a specific location, to a place where it gets installed, bring in a tool like a welding head or something, and... and and take a t- particular process, and one can really kind of scope through step-by-step step what a robotic process sh- should do. Um, clearly in the future, and, and, and we're there to some degree, right? I mean, a, a, a robotic vacuum cleaner or whatever has to have a certain amount of autonomy and can't, can't have its path completely constrained, but more and more in the future, a, a robot has to function in an unstructured environment and has to be able to accomplish tasks and so forth um, without advanced knowledge of obstacles and problems and and hazards and and everything else. And certainly a a very challenging problem that we're just beginning to make inroads on that I think is is the area where we'll see a tremendous amount of change coming in the future.
0: Well, and the other major uh, uh, application that you've, uh, have expertise on is is the this is, is in do- involved with solar energy uh, and how power electronics relates to taking um, power power for er, energy from uh, the Sun and then transforming that into electricity so just talk a little bit about
1: uh, power uh, your field as it relates to solar energy well the interesting thing to me uh, you know I come back to the power electronics but really with, without that we have no solar energy because the the issue with solar energy is is not so much capturing photons from the sun and and getting them to do useful things electrically, but rather to take that electricity and get it into the, the conventional power grid, so that it can be distributed and used and integrated into our, our into our own daily lives. Um, I I won't say those problems are fully solved, but I will claim that there are very very solid commercial products today that actually do that quite well um, at very reasonable cost and as a result we see solar energy at least in the United States um, that even at the residential level is cost competitive with the um, uh, basically with with a retail cost of electricity and that's that's a huge change right that's a dramatic difference from um, certainly 10 years ago, uh, 15 years ago, 20 you know whatever time frame you want to you want to come up with right And the costs continue to drop maybe not quite as rapidly, but enough that we see more and more impact. Um, the other side of that that double-edged sword so to speak um, is that solar energy is subject to a certain amount of variability um, We have, plenty of days in central Illinois when we have beautiful white fluffy clouds and all of us say oh this is a really beautiful day and when I look at the data coming off of my solar panels I see these huge jumps (laughs) up and down and and just an enormous amount of variation and all of that ultimately is being imposed on the power grid and somebody else has to make up for it Um, and and that's an area where we we're beginning to make some inroads, but we have to do things differently in the future to really um, account for that.
0: So right now, I would say solar maybe is, is somewhat supplemental. They, they, they uh, can, can live on its own to a certain degree, but as you say, with uh, not being as reliable, uh, it's still going to rely on, on traditional power, at least at this point, uh, to be able to fill in those gaps.
1: Well, we have to get past that, right? I, I think this is very important. There's a, there's a certain perception in the industry that's exactly what you, you just stated, that you know, we, we have to tolerate a certain amount of, of uh, difference and issues with solar. Uh, I think my take is a little bit different, which is that you know, if, if solar is an affordable resource, and, and certainly it is in, in my mind anyway, um, we have to make it a useful resource at every level as well. Um, you know, it can't be an afterthought, and it's definitely time to prepare that system integration to do the job. And, you know, before, before getting off of that question, I, I think one of, the, one of the key things that people need to understand is that batteries are not the panacea solution. I, I can't solve this just by slapping up a big battery pack next to a solar panel. I mean, I can in principle, but that takes away all the economic advantages, batteries are far too expensive to make that a, a workable solution on its own they may be part of the solution uh, but they they really just economically they can't be the full solution so we have to we have to look at other ways to do that well five years ago uh, the uh, proprietary uh,
0: information and, and technology that you had as a startup sold um, so talk a little bit about what that was and um, you know where that technology is being used now.
1: Well, um, you know one of the one of the curious things about solar is that there are a lot of folks in government and university who kind of assume it's about the materials. You know, if we could only make cheap solar panels, then solar energy would be really cheap and so forth. Um, we realized about fifteen years ago that that's that's really quite misleading. Um, in a modern solar solar installation, maybe 20 to 25% of the cost is the semiconductor. And today I think what we are very much seeing commercially is that silicon is a very nice semiconductor. It's not inherently that expensive. It's accessible to any country in the world that that wants to manufacture it. Uh, Very common and and, uh, easy to deal with material. Um, and I keep reminding some of my colleagues, mostly, thankfully, at other universities <laughs> who are trying to work on various solar materials that, you know, unless I- – even if it's free, it will only drop the cost of solar energy by something like 20 to 25 percent. Um, we, on the other hand, looked back and said, wait a minute, it really is about getting that energy into the grid and having that interface work Um over the life of the solar panels. uh, And we became convinced that if we had the right grid interface, the right inverter, the right power electronics, um, that we could make much more impact on cost. Um, And indeed, the ultimate result of that particular startup company is something we call an AC solar panel. Basically, it's a solar panel with an inverter mounted right on the back that Uh, almost literally plugs into the grid, and everything else is taken care of by the electronics that are integrated right into the unit. Um, The challenge at the time was to make that reliable because solar panels can last 40 or 50 years, Uh, and indeed a a good quality silicon solar panel today will have a 25-year manufacturer warranty. 15 years ago, everybody said, you know, with power electronics, that simply isn't possible. Um, you know, you, you just can't do that. You have to assume that you're gonna repair the thing every few times. Um, and we reminded people that as soon as a repairman comes out to an installation, the cost of that installation goes way up and the economics associated with solar energy really go away. So we spent a lot of time on design for reliability Uh, We spent a lot of time on product performance and and device. Uh, In the end, came up with inverters that will last 40 or 50 years and can be installed with a solar panel. Um, And it drops the installation costs. It drops the interconnection cost. It drops the life cost. Basically, it ends up dropping the cost of a solar energy system about in half. Wow. So dramatically more impact than just dealing with the original material.
0: And So what I hear you saying is that, uh, and the motivation in the beginning was we needed clean renewable energy. There's certainly there's all kinds of reasons for that. But in, in this case, th- with the costs coming way down, it's very competitive now with any other types of energy that uh, that you that it's out
1: there. Right. And and the point is, it's not just the cost of the semiconductor. It's right, and, and it's not just the cost of the panel, because the panel's got to be mounted, it's got to be installed, uh, it's, it's got to be interconnected, it's got to go into the grid, and one worries about what is the cost over 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, which is the, you know, in the end, what really matters. Um, and that overall, that end-to-end installed system cost is, is where the impact has been, and that has dropped so much that today um i mean uh, you know going back to that i would i I tell all of my neighbors uh if they're if they're having to do work on their roof uh rooftop uh they should consider installing solar as that goes back up because the extra cost of dropping a few solar panels on a roof while it's being repaired is is actually pretty low and that uh, power could easily be
0: uh, sent out to the grid even from a residential property
1: well, the point of uh, uh, today's regulations and, and everything else is, is we, we run in Illinois and almost every other state something called net metering, uh, which essentially means that once you attach a solar resource back into the grid, uh, it simply uh, subtracts from your bill as, as a resource, uh, and there's no, there's no um, uh, really debate or discussion about where the energy is used. It simply goes into the grid like any other resource. So
0: what are s- some of the misconceptions out there? W- we Before we uh, went on air here, we kind of discussed a, l- a few of them, but it uh, th- seems to be there's a lot of confusion about solar energy, and so I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to talk about maybe debunk a couple of the myths that are out there in terms of uh, solar energy.
1: Well, sure, and, and some of these are historic uh, because there, there has certainly has been a lot of change. Um, Obviously, even a few years ago, solar energy was expensive enough that the issue was to always make th- the best use of it, uh, to spend a lot of extra effort on the planning and the design and the installation uh, and get everything right. Um, there was a time, and, in, and actually in many locations, the installers still function this way, uh, where basically they'll, they'll cherry pick a site. They don't want to put solar panels uh, any place that might get some shading uh, they they spend a lot of time going through all kinds of tools that that the um, uh, Department of Energy has developed for estimating production and, and coming up with all kinds of uh, detailed economic analyses and and so on and so on um, I find those a little bit tedious uh, you know the, one of the reasons that we really developed uh, what I referred to before as an AC solar panel is to make the things independent and individual so in 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 my world so to speak you say okay well sure if a rooftop is heavily shaded that's probably not the best place to put solar energy but on the other hand if if there's a tree near the corner and maybe it's shaded a couple of hours a day don't worry about it too much. Mm-hmm. Um, the panels will put out as much as they can. Um, the installation I have in my house, you know, in the winter, if there's snow on it, I say, well, okay, maybe I'll lose a day or two of production. It's certainly not worth risking my neck to go up on a rooftop and sweep snow off of a <laughs> set of panels. Um, so again, you, you need this perspective on, on how things work in the larger context. And, and today, it's just so important not to make it hard. You, you find that installation and, and say, okay, here's a place where I could put a couple of panels and maybe around the corner I can put a couple more. If they're AC panels and they operate independently, fine. Um, and, and installers are, are picking up on this a little bit more. Uh, it, it will be a while, right? I mean, today's roofing contractor doesn't typically offer solar panels at the right. same time. That they're doing their work but but that'll come so if i am you know and i am a uh, a homeowner
0: um, how easy is this i say you know i'm committed i w- i, w- I, w- I want to do solar talk about the cost um, and the ultimate benefit you know how soon if i decide to do this will i uh, start actually s- uh, making up the money that i spent to, to put the solar panels in
1: Sure. Well, the um, if if you find the right installer who who, who uh, will put a system in at the at, at what really is the going rate, and that's always a little bit of an issue, especially in a place like Central Illinois where we don't have a lot of uh, installers competing with each other. Um, you know, in the end, the effective uh, what's called the um, lifetime cost of energy uh, divided out, um, roughly two-thirds of the of the going retail rate in this area Um, and when you walk through the math you find out that the payback periods are are still several years Um, you know it's not it's not like it's a month kind of thing but it's not many decades Um, so this is why I tell people you know do that the next time you replace your roof right because, you know, when you're doing that kind of a 25-year project, it, it makes sense to uh, do that thing as an add-on. Um, so y- you're, you're saving money, uh, certainly in, in several, uh, I think maybe even at the state level in California, they're pushing very hard to have new, new residential construction include solar panels for exactly that same reason. You know, when you can roll the costs into that initial mortgage and, and construction cost, it's... Uh, much much uh, easier proposition to think about Um, but certainly even here in Illinois it's it's quite economic yes you do save money uh, and if you have the right uh, configuration to make it easy you know by all means I mean I have a one-story garage at my house that one side faces south and it was actually I I did a do-it-yourself kind of project to put a bunch of panels on it
0: so I want to and by giving you a chance to, d- we this obviously is a, an academic institution. What what are your uh, what are your students what types of students do we have here, and, and what are they, what kind of programs are they in n- today that that may be different than they were in five and ten years ago, and and where is uh, education heading uh, in terms of power electronics? And I ask that as somebody who literally wrote the book uh, on the subject.
1: Well, I think the, the one thing that is, is very gratifying uh, is, of course, for, for many decades we've been talking about doing design and about the um, issues of, of doing new creative things, uh, having students work together in teams. At Illinois, this is something we've done, you know, throughout my career and, and certainly even longer than that. But I think today we're seeing really strong impact. That today's students really expect that kind of interaction. Um, they they want to explore creative solutions to hard problems. Uh, they want to work together with people who maybe aren't totally like-minded, um, you know, so that they can explore a variety of different issues and and really come out with with new ways of doing things. Um, you know, when when I studied engineering many 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 years ago, I think uh, a lot of people th- thought of it as a very mechanistic, learn the the tools, and be able to crank out solutions to specified problems. Um, but the reality is using creative thinking to go after very open-ended challenges, um, and it's it's been great to see students. Uh, Get more and more excited about that way of doing things, uh, and I think um, it says a lot of a lot of great things about the future.
0: And, and what about the collaborations that the, the students here are able to to experience? Not uh, your your lab collaborating with uh, other labs from other maybe departments here or industry. Uh, that would seem to be
1: you know a really unique uh, opportunity here. Well. The, the fact is that Illinois has a much more robust collaborative culture than any other university I've experienced and I've, I've engaged with many, many, many places. Uh, but the notion of people working together across engineering disciplines, across business disciplines and even into fine arts uh, is, is something in Illinois that is uh, explored a lot. Um, all the time and I think in in some of these arenas it becomes really important um you know to go back and and touch on solar energy I mean today a lot of the issues are uh, economic and and driven by business models and business practices Mm -hmm. um, as much as they are about technology design uh, and bringing those together becomes uh, a really important thing you know what what does a new business or solar energy installation and growth really look like. Uh, the fact is it doesn't look very much like what we have today. It's, it's got to be different. But, yeah, being able to to work with those kinds of folks across many, many different arenas uh, is, is a tremendous advantage here at Urbana-Champaign.
0: Well, thank you very much for coming in. We appreciate your insights on both uh, electric cars and, and solar energy and, and uh power electronics in, in general, and we look forward to talking to you down the road.
1: Well, thanks, Mike. I hope uh, I hope we've given our listeners something to think about, and I hope uh, maybe something they can get excited about and, and think about how the future is going to be different.
0: Philip Krein has been our guest. This has been another edition of Illinois Innovators. I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. Illinois Innovators is a production of Engineering at Illinois. All
1: rights reserved. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or SoundCloud by searching Engineering at Illinois.